Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend, Luke Warnock. Welcome to the podcast, Luke. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Um, just to give you a little bit of an overview on Luke, Luke is a recent graduate from Corner Canyon. He's the student body president, the class of 2019 that just graduated. Luke is a starting member of the high school varsity basketball team that beats state. And Luke, in the last few months, has come out as gay to his school, to his friends, to his family. And um, Luke is just bravely sharing his story as a gay member of our community. Um, but I became aware of Luke and um, through my friend Jill Hazard Rowe, who just released a podcast called Human Stories. Um, and Luke was on that podcast. He's done a two-part podcast. I included, encourage everybody to connect with Jill's podcast and hear Luke's story. And Luke, any thoughts on that podcast and your and connecting with Jill? Yeah, I was just really thankful that she reached out to me. Um, we had a really good long conversation about my coming out story and about the whole deal. And so I'm just thankful for Jill. And so everyone go listen to Human Stories with Jill Hazard Rowe. It was it was awesome. So let's start with where you where did you grow up, Luke? Where you grew up in Utah? Did you grow up somewhere else? Yeah, I grew up in Utah. So I was born in Salt Lake. Um, my family moved from Salt Lake to Draper when I was like five or six, I'm not really quite sure, right when my parents got divorced. But then I grew up, um, grew up in Draper all throughout my growing up. And until this past year, my mom moved to Riverton. My dad's still in Draper. And so that's where we're at right now. And, um, tell us about your family. How many siblings do you have? Um, I have three real older sisters. And so I'm the youngest. And then I have two stepsisters from my dad's remarriage who are also older than me, but one of them's only a month older than me. So, And um, tell us about basketball. We're going to talk about basketball first because that's one of my, this is not a sports podcast, but we could talk for an hour about Corner Canyon basketball. Um, tell us about, were you a multi-sport guy? Were you just a basketball guy? How did that all come about? Yeah. So growing up, I played football, basketball, and baseball. Honestly, football was probably my biggest sport growing up, and I didn't like basketball when I was younger. I just did junior jazz. My parents signed me up for it, hoping one day I'd like it. My uncles have careers in basketball. One of them played in the NBA, and so basketball wow. runs in the genes, wow. and so my mom was hoping that it would it would happen with me too, but I didn't like basketball when I was younger until about... Um, right before seventh grade, I wanted to start get, getting serious. And so I tried out for the like Phantom, the youth team, and I made the B team seventh grade, made the A team eighth grade, and then played all throughout high school. And just so our listeners know, our youngest son played at Cottonwood, which is in the same region as Corner Canyon. And our, so I've watched you play basketball. I'm sure I've been, I've been to Corner Canyon twice and watched you guys destroy Cottonwood. Actually, we we lost to Cottonwood I, last year, I think. And or, I think on our home court, we beat you. Yeah, so once we're, or twice. we're pretty even with Cottonwood, actually. I don't know how many losses you had on your road to win state, but I guess Cottonwood was one of the few losses. Yeah, I, I don't even recall, but... It's a blur. Yeah, it is, but, but as I was even with us, for sure. Yeah, as my wife and I watched those games, recognized that Corner Canyon's a great team and a lot of depth, and you were a starting member of that team, and... Um, I wonder if my son, who's now on a mission, and you ever trash talk. He kind of liked to trash talk. I don't oh, really? know if Cottonwood 
um, has a reputation of a trash talking team or they trash or if you guys do, but I think it was all in good nature. I think I, I remember a little trash talking with Conway, but I love to trash talk too. So it, so it goes both ways. It goes both ways. Um, want to talk about, um, you know, obviously we're going to talk about you being gay, but you're more than just a gay man mm-hmm. as and we'll talk about that. But I want to talk about just why you ran for SBO, because you've got a, it's a big high school. There's a lot of um, responsibility that comes with that. You're, you know, a high school athlete. Why? Tell us the story of why you ran for SBO and what you hope to accomplish. Yeah. So junior year, I was on student government. I ran that year just just because I felt like it. I didn't really have any ulterior motives. I, just, I wanted to do it. I thought it'd be a good time. And I made that. I was junior class vice president. And about midway throughout the year, I realized that this could be an opportunity to help people maybe change change a little bit what I didn't like at Corner Canyon and try to help kids. And so I ran for student body officer, and I made that. We don't run for positions at Corner Canyon. You just run. How many won then that qualified for this group, a there, student body officer? There were – we had 11 okay. SBOs, but – Art doesn't run. They just, it's like, um, how am I trying? It's like a job interview kind of. Okay. They show their portfolio. Because you got to have same, real, yeah, specific skills yeah, to do that part. Yeah, same with the tech officer. That makes we sense. We had two tech officers, which doesn't usually happen, but we did. And so eight, eight students ran and made SBO. And what's the process then for the SBO president to be selected? So from the time you make SBO, to a student government camp you go to like mid-June from like April to June is just a big old tryout and you're going you're having meetings you're discussing things you're figuring out the theme for next year and so um, the advisors we have two advisors they watch you and they decide who would be best at what position and so this whole period I was trying to be a good leader and show my leadership skills and uh, show like love and care for everyone and it worked out for me. How do you get notified you're the SBO president? So the last night of camp at about midnight, they they say, hey, come find out your position. So everyone walks to, um, I don't even know where, just wherever at Utah State is where the camp is at. So probably in one of our dorms or something. But then they just go through lists. They start with the freshman class officers and go all the way up and end with the student body president. And it's super stressful everyone's on everyone's on pins and needles but after it's a big sigh of relief and yeah um did everybody want to be a student body president um that were part of that group or did um and maybe you don't know that there was i know it was about a two-way race between me and another kid he's on a mission at the moment but um yeah it was it was pretty tight but i'm i'm just glad they chose me i'm lucky and he did a great job at vice president so i was lucky to have him too and talk about what you wanted to accomplish you kind of hinted to that luke but yeah what did you want to accomplish and even you kind of mentioned there were some things that perhaps you didn't like about the culture at corner canyon wanted to change um i just wanted to change the culture to be kind that's all i cared about was showing everyone love and acceptance no matter who they were i've always been big on that I've always been a big advocate for the LGBT communities, basically any minorities in general. I consider myself very feminist. And so any any minorities in general, I just want to give I want to give them a voice. And so I just wanted to advocate for kindness and 
change that culture because I know Corner Canyon, um, if people listening to this have gone to Corner Canyon, have students there, I know it can be a little clicky and it's it can be hard to be like a new student or even if you start off on the wrong foot, it's basically game over from there because it's so clicky and it's just kind of a strange culture. And so start off on the wrong foot, that, that's a great way to phrase just maybe you made a mistake or you said yeah. the wrong thing and yeah, or you would hope a community would still bring you in. Yeah, or say you start off with a, the wrong group of friends or not necessarily the wrong group of friends, the less popular. It's, it's all about popularity at Corner Canyon. And so I wanted to change that to where we could all, everyone could be friends and we could all just love each other and have a good time. What would be the greatest compliment um, your fellow graduates at Corner Canyon could say to you or those that are still there that remember you and your fellow SBOs, you know, today or a year or two years, five years down the road? I just hope they look back and see that we were kind to them. And because I know a lot of the SBOs in the past, people say student government ruins the school. They run the school, which isn't true, but they it, they come off with a persona of we're the best, we're on top, we're the top dogs. And so I hope the that kids will look back and say they were just trying to give people voice, trying to do the most for the school and be kind, and they made everyone feel welcome. That's great. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast, but um, we've most of the guests on the podcast are connected with the LDS Church. Luke isn't. Luke. Um, um, grew up outside of the LDS church in a very LDS culture. And I think that's part of your unique journey. Right. Um, and so I'm really grateful to have you on the podcast for multiple reasons. But this is still putting sort of you being gay on the shelf for a second and talking about other issues. Talk about just being not LDS and being in an LDS dominated culture. Are there any things that we, I'm LDS, active LDS. Is there any things that we can do better to just help everybody feel included? Um, and maybe you had a pretty good experience. I don't know. For the most part, it was solid. I mean, I can't complain because everyone has been kind to me. Just, I think the one thing that always frustrated me the most was um, friends talking to me about, and I, I'm always open to conversations about it because I think that's how you get to know people. And that's why it's like this podcast. You just listen to people's stories. Everyone has a different story to tell. So I was always open to hear people's stories about the church and I would ask questions I didn't understand. And in that situation, I'm all for telling me about the church, but that's when I, I'm open to it. And so when it's sprung on you out of nowhere or the, it's, it feels like it's being forced on you, because I, I know what the church is about and I know all that and I'm fine with people doing that, but I don't know if it's necessarily for me. And so when I felt like people were trying to convert me or trying to force their religion on me. I wasn't a fan of that. And I think one thing that um, the LDS listeners could take from this is just that um, just because like we don't have the same beliefs doesn't mean our beliefs are wrong. It doesn't mean your beliefs are wrong. Everyone is entitled to their own beliefs. And so there's not one wrong or right, in my opinion. And I think that's what makes the world go round. I'm really comfortable with that answer. It's helpful. What What were the best things your LDS friends did? I assume you had close friends that were LDS. Right. Um, what were the best things that they did just to help you feel like you were a true friend to them? Um, anything any other friend would do. I I don't think our our relationship our relationships sorry weren't based on religion. They were based on character, and so they didn't 
force anything on me. They didn't, I didn't force anything on them. We were all just respectful of each other. And I think that's what it all comes down to is mutual respect, respect for every person, no matter what. And I think the world's heading in the right direction. I think it still has a lot of work to do, but I think in general, it's getting better and better and we can keep, keep that movement going. I love that line. I don't know if you've just came up with it off the cuff, Luke, based on character. Mm-hmm. Kind of a cool way to base relationships. And to me, that means common goals and and just the ability to come together and share common values and goals and see good in each other. I like that. Right. And everyone everyone has good in them. There, there may be people, especially in high school, kids struggle with identity. I know I did at the start of high school. Towards the end, I was more comfortable with myself. Obviously, I was able to come out and be okay with it. But I think high school kids struggle with identity a lot. And so what they say or do, their actions may not necessarily be what they're feeling. And so you got to really find the good in people. And I think there's always good to find in people. And that's how friendships are, are made, in my opinion. Let's circle back to basketball one last time. For sure. Um, tell our listeners what position you played, how tall you are. Um, maybe your high, you may not even remember this, your best game or the most points you scored as a senior. Right. And so I'm about 6'3". On a good day with shoes on, I'm 6'3". I, I like to tell people I'm 6'3", but um, I played the three, small forward. We had a couple taller kids than me, and so they played in the post. And um, as a senior, pretty much all throughout high school, I wasn't really a scorer. I think a lot of kids like to focus on scoring because obviously scoring is fun. It's a good time. But there are other things in basketball that you have to do in order to win. And so I think every team needs at least a few guys that'll do the intangibles. And what was your favorite thing to do? Was it defense? I love. Was it defense. blocking? Was it rebounding? Was it getting an offensive charge? Mm, or just defense, all of the above? Just locking down. Just not necessarily anything on the stat sheet because nothing when, on the stat sheet. Because when you when you stop someone and they pass it off, when they're trying to score and they have to pass, that doesn't go on the stat sheet, but it changes the game. And so I loved defense because. I kind of found my niche that way. And so my senior year, um, looking back, I think scoring-wise, I dropped about 18 or 19 against Alta. That was cool. But I think my best game was probably against Timpview, where their Good best team. their best player averaged like 29 a game. I held him to about 12 or 14 points. And that to me, that was my best game because I – I don't know if a lot of other people could do that defensively. And so I take pride in defense. That's great. And our head coach, Coach Gummersall, I don't know if you're listening to this podcast, was our head coach who had roots at Corner Canyon, and a lot of your players knew him. And now he's left Cottonwood, I believe, for Harriman. So we wish him the best. Uh, One of the things that's, you know, as I've stepped in this space and I've heard so many stories of LGBTQ members, Luke, some of the stereotypes that I had picked up have kind of fallen away. And one of, and you're sort of helpful to break that stereotype because most people don't think of a student body president and a kind of a star athlete in basketball at a school as gay. They just kind of like have maybe some stereotypes of some personality types or some interests that sort of fit that mold. And so it kind of helps people step back and go, well, this, you know, maybe some of the things that I've assumed are not correct. Right. Um, so that's one of the things I'm so great. And I, Jill did such a good job interviewing you for the Human Stories podcast. But just tell our listeners your your journey as a gay man 
And when you sort of just came, you know, came out, came to terms, this is not an easy journey usually. Yeah. And so it, it wasn't easy. It was tough. And I think obviously I preface this on Jill's podcast, but my story is my story. Everyone's is different. That's why I'm glad you do this podcast because I, everyone's story is unique and valid. And valid. And, and getting these stories out there, it can help kids that might be going through the same thing because I know my story felt a little different and I struggle with that at times because I kind of felt alone. But if I, if I saw someone on, say, from my school that was this big face of the school and was also gay, that would have helped me. And so that's my goal. But It's a great goal. Yeah. And so I, I actually didn't know I was gay when I was younger until, yeah, so, okay. So growing up, I didn't know I was gay. I was just doing my thing. Any other thing a kid would do, you date girls, you like girls, you have little crushes. That's how it goes. And um, I started dating my girlfriend at the time when I was 15. The summer after my freshman year, we started dating. Um, we dated for about two and a half years. We took a little break in there for about four months, but for the most part, we were really solid. And it wasn't until August of 2018, this past year, so almost a year ago, um, that I started writing in a journal. And in the journal, I wrote, I think I'm a, I may be bisexual. I'm just a little confused about my sexual orientation. And um, so that was the first time I even really considered it. That, that was the first time I really, like on paper. I mean, I had I had thought about it, say like a year before, two years before, I'm like, what if? And then I'd just squash it. But this was the first time I really um, materialized it. And I was like, this could be a thing. It takes a lot of courage to probably write that down. It was scary it's probably at the moment. Coming out to yourself in right. some ways. Coming out to yourself is that was the hardest thing for me. But um, so I wrote that. I thought I was bisexual. Um, will you share with our listeners kind of why you got to that point where you wrote that down? Honestly. I don't know. That journal was all about me just spewing my thoughts onto the page. It had no structure, nothing. I would write things about my future career. I would write things about my purpose on this earth. And then I wrote that and I looked back and I was like, oh, maybe I am. You know, so it kind of, I kind of just, it just came out of me. And so then when it was out there, I was like, hmm, like maybe this is a thing. And then I thought about it more and more. And I was really struggling with it at the time because that's just, it's scary not knowing your sexuality. And you, you think you see it in the media. These guys are these LGBTQ members of the community are so sure with their, with themselves. They're so sure with their sexuality, but it's not always like that. And even now I still struggle with it, but there's so much uncertainty. And so I was terrified. And one day Ashley she just said to me, she was like, hey, I hope one day you'll let me read your journal. And I, I kind of lost it. Not I wasn't angry, but I freaked out because that's just scary. And there was some things in there that I wasn't ready to share with people, obviously. And um, she meant it in good intentions. Sure. She wasn't. She just she wanted to see like my outlook on life because I'm a positive person. So she thought that there would be some good lessons in there to learn. And so she meant well, but. Um, it was really scary. And so I said, no, um, there's some things in there I'm not ready to share with you yet. And she took that the wrong way, thought I was cheating on her. Or her anxiety kind of took over and she automatically jumped to the worst. And so then I was stuck in, a, in between a rock and a hard place of 
either Ashley thinks you're cheating on her or you come out when you're not ready to come out. And so it was just, it was hard. And, um, I, it took a while for me to decide. I talked to my sister who identifies as Pan and, um, she helped me. Is your sister then the very first person except your journal you talked to about mm-hmm. this? She was. And I talked to her because I knew she would understand because she had gone through a lot of the same things. Not necessarily, obviously she didn't, wasn't forced out of the closet, but she had experienced the same uncertainty and the same confusion. So I knew she would be accepting and understanding and give me some good insight. So I, I told her it was a big, it was a big crying session. I was kind of losing it. Big mental breakdown. She helped me through it. We kind of mutually decided that it would be best if I told Ashley because bisexual means you're attracted to men and women. And so if I told Ashley and I was still with Ashley, she should be okay with it because obviously I'm still choosing to be with her because I'm still attracted to her. And so I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Let's do it. And I told Ashley, she was at first, she was kind of like, whoa. And then she thought about it and she said, that's fine. I still love you. I still accept you. Let's work through this. And I was like, all right, deal. Let's do it. And, um, well, you did just even though we should have your sister telling us what pansexual is yeah. if she were here. Um, will you just do your best at that for our listeners that may not be familiar with pansexual? Yeah, so I'm, obviously I'm not an expert, but um, <laughs> from what she's told me and what I've looked into, um, pan and bi are somewhat similar. There's some debate in the community of whether they're the same. But from her point of view, bi, bisexual includes the binary men and women but pansexual is all and so excuse me um it's men women gender queer gender neutral gender fluid trans men trans women basically anything it's just it eradicates the binary and Mm -hmm. so it's just it's all and we're bisexual and it depends on the person because some people identify as bi but they're also they also don't care about the binary. It really depends mm-hmm. on how the person chooses. That's to very helpful. It. But that's helpful. That's from my knowledge. That's the difference. And I mean, thanks, Luke. It's it, the first it time we've depends. talked really about at all about pan. So thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're now you're talking to Ashley, and at first she's kind of like, oh my gosh, and then she's like, well, maybe this doesn't change anything. Yeah, and so we tried to work through it. She was going through some stuff herself with depression and anxiety, and um. Yeah, and so we we were trying to work through it. Um, it didn't really work out. I I tried to go to therapy, trying to figure out what my sexuality was. And looking back, it's all kind of a blur of the the timeline, the chronological order of it. But and is this has the senior year started? Because I think yeah. you wrote in the journal before the senior year started. I wrote it. I wrote in the journal probably right as senior year started. So you've got. I mean, just for context, you've got an incredibly intense year Yeah. Um, with SBO and basketball that's right. sort of 20, that's every day of the week because mm-hmm. I think Corner Canyon is pretty serious about their game, obviously. Yeah. So that's helpful for our listeners just to realize you've got all, you've got a heavy load, man. It was hard. It was, looking back, I honestly don't know how I did it really because there was school, there was um, like you said, SBO, we did a lot at the start of the year. It's really busy and we were getting ready for charity month in December, which is insane. 
and then basketball every single day, getting ready for the season, trying to figure out where I want to go to college, doing applications. So it was a lot. And um, I know anyone listening to this has gone through the same kind of identity crisis or those that haven't that are listening. It's it consumes you. It it was all I thought about all day long, every single day. And so that's tough when I had, I obviously had other things I needed to think about and I couldn't because I was so confused with myself and my identity. But so I came out to my sister, Ashley knew, Ashley told her mom, which I was upset with at first, but it was good intentions. Her mom actually found me a therapist. Good. So shout out to her. But um, I told my mom, the first thing I said to my mom, she came upstairs one night I was just crying in my bed and she said, what's up? What's going on? And the first words I said were, I need therapy. (laughs) And then I told her why that I was unsure about my sexuality. And at that time, I didn't know if I were bi or gay. And so um, I got into therapy. That helped me a lot. Um, And I know you want to touch on this, but it was kind of the way I describe it as sexual affirmation therapy. For those that don't know what it is, it's some... it's kind of just giving you validity where I feel like it was missing in my life. I didn't, I was unsure of my sexuality. So my therapist helped me um, figure that out. She helped me because I'm a very um, insightful person. I think I'm very um, emotionally aware of myself. And so a lot of the questions I had in therapy, I answered myself. It's just nice talking to someone that is unbiased and knowing that it's in full confidentiality. Yeah. So that, that helped me a ton. So I was dating Ashley at the time when I started going to therapy, my therapist helped me come to terms with breaking up with Ashley. Cause I was struggling with that a lot. I did not want to hurt her, but my therapist helped me with that. My therapist helped me with, um, being okay with being gay because again, I, I, when I was in therapy, I was like, I might be bisexual. And then I would talk about things and it was clearly obvious that I wasn't bisexual, that I was gay, but she helped me come to terms with that because it's tough. And um, so I'm thankful for that. And then I came out to my family. I think it's a great strength of strength. You went to therapy, you know, I just think that that is not a sign of weakness. If our listeners are listening and saying, Hey, that's one of the things that I think, you know, Luke, you're doing a good job of you're not you're just owning therapy and yeah. it's not like you're weak or exactly you're, you know, I think that's just really helpful thing to find the right therapist and what that therapist did for you was very helpful. Well, that's, I think one of the biggest misconceptions in society in general is that asking for help is a sign of weakness. When in my opinion, it's a sign of strength that you can recognize that you need help and you're brave enough to go grab it. And so I think for any listeners that are thinking about doing therapy for any reason, I think everyone could use therapy for anything. I think I'm a hundred percent believer in therapy. Go do it. I think it, it helps a lot. And even, even if it doesn't help, at least you tried, tried to get help. That's a sign of strength to me. But, um, so I love therapy. I'm a big fan, but I started coming out one to one by one to my family. Um, I came out to my dad. He was fine with it. He was totally accepting, totally loving. He was surprised. And so was my mom and my sister and Ashley and myself. And so that's the thing. I didn't know when I was younger, there weren't really any 
big signs. It was kind of just flung on us. And so everyone was surprised, including me. Um, but I'm the kind of person that just jumps on things. I don't good. I don't really hesitate. So I didn't let it really stew in me that long. I just went for it. And that's how this all happened so fast. But came out to my dad. He was okay with it. I came out to all my sisters. They were fine with it. They loved me. And then, yeah, I was 100% out to my immediate family. And they were all accepting and loving. What's the best thing? It sounds like you you have a really good family. And you've got a family with your parents getting divorced. You've got step-parents in your life. And mm-hmm. I sense they're doing a good job. Yeah. Um, what's the best thing family members say to you? Um, it's just we love you. And that's – I was worried. I was actually worried to tell my stepdad – I love him so much. He's been such a good support in my life. I'm so thankful for him. Um, but he he's conservative. I'm liberal. Obviously, I'm gay. And so I was kind of, I was worried about the political conflict and um, the gay scene necessarily isn't his thing. And that's fine. Everyone can have their thing. But I came out to him. I said, hey, Ashley and I broke up. Obviously, you know that the reason is because I'm gay. And he was like, okay, like, I love you. There's no difference. It hasn't changed. I still support you. And I was like, all right, cool. And that's where that conversation ended. And it was, it was really eye opening because I think before you do things, you kind of blow them up in your head. You think it's going to be horrible. You think they're going to kick you out of the house. And I mean, obviously that does happen. And I feel so sorry for the people that that does happen to. But for me, um, I would always just kind of blow things out of proportion. And so that's why I prefer to jump on things because you never know until you do it. And if they don't love you and they don't support you, you don't really need that negativity in your life, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a sign of strength. And what a great way to manage um, anxiety is sort of feeling feeling is about the future and the unknown. Mm-hmm. Stress is kind of about today, but what a way to, great way to do that, Luke. Um, what would you say to Ashley? I know you continue to talk to Ashley. If you were, yeah. if she's listening, what would you say to her? Because it just might be helpful for all um, partners that are in a relationship that kind of gets complicated because one right. is no longer, they assume both are straight and one's not. Yeah. What would you say? It's sort of you talking to all the Ashleys out there. Well, first off, I just want to say thank you to Ashley if she's listening because she was so loving. And when I, when I ended up breaking up with her and I told her I'm gay, this isn't going to work. She said she knew from the moment I told her I was bi, but she let me get there on my own. And I'm, thankful for that because I mean it obviously put a lot of strain on her and me but um her being loving me enough to let me handle my own journey I'm so thankful for that but any anyone in that sort of situation it's not going to be easy obviously if there's love involved it's going to be tough and so I think just be patient with each other on both sides if if you're the one coming out understand that it's going to hurt the other person and be conscious of their feelings and be aware that they may be angry and they may be hurt and that's okay because everyone's feelings are valid. Your, your feelings are valid. Their feelings are valid. If you come to an agreement that you love each other and do what's best for each other, just have each other in mind. And um, so for all the Ashley's out there, just um, focus on yourself as well because it's not just the person coming out, it's not just their journey. It's also your journey because you're a part of it. And so Ashley's a huge part of my journey, one of the biggest. And so just know that it's both of your journeys. You're figuring it out together. 
And so, but be aware of your own feelings too. Don't, don't neglect those because everyone, everyone's feelings are valid. And if you let them bottle up, it, it'll blow up on you. And that's never fun. <laughs> Doing a great job, Luke. Thanks so much on behalf of our listeners. Talk about, you know, you're with Ashley for quite a while. I think you said three and a half years, but I made two and a half years. Two and a half years. Yeah. And it sounds like that was a real relationship. It was. Just share with our listeners kind of how you, how you frame up that relationship and the context of that relationship. Um, so we met when I was 15. We, we started dating when she turned 16 because then she finally had her license and we could go do stuff. But um, we had one of the deepest emotional connections I've ever had, maybe the deepest. And we had so much fun together. We loved spending time with each other. I just loved being with her. I wanted to spend every second with her. And I, I mean, I don't want to speak for her, but I feel, kind of feel like she felt the same way. And so um, we, we wanted to get married. We wanted to have kids. We had promise rings. We were serious. And I think, so that, that made it tough when I came out that it was kind of our whole future just shattered, but obviously it had to be done. But um, we just love spending time with each other and looking back, it might've been just one of the deepest emotional connections and deepest loves I've ever felt. And it may not have been as romantic as I thought, but I'm just, I'm thankful that we could have had that. And I think it shaped both of us into who we are today. That's very helpful. And, you know, I just, I think one day, you know, you you two are going to my guess is stay in good contact and rejoicing so. each other's successes. And, yeah. you know, I think these high school friendships often we're going to our 40th reunion in my life. Uh, and I think, you know, when you go to your 40th reunion, that seems forever away. It is for you that, you know, you two will continue to be friends and talk about your great lives. I hope so. I, and I think so. I, I think we'll stay tight for a long time. Talk about, you know, why you came out? Because some people would say, well, Luke, you should have just, why come out? I mean, what's the upside to that? Right. Um, it just made your life more complicated. Right. Now you've got it to figure out. It was a whole know, lot more complicated. So I, I framed that up sort of knowing your answer, but share with our listeners that may wonder, why would Luke come out? Um, so like I said, I just, I jump on things. So I'm not one to just let it sit in me. So I don't like hiding things. I'm not a liar. I'm not someone that's going to hide stuff. So once I knew for sure, I was like, all right, it's going to happen eventually. But I was going to wait until after graduation. But I, I, I ended up coming out about a week before graduation. But I decided that, I mean, if if it went poorly, I would only have a week left in at Corner Canyon. So I could deal with a week of bullying and torment but if it went well that's kids I can impact that's people I can help that may be going through the same thing as me that may have had a similar story and so that was kind of my intentions was just I can use this as a platform to help help kids and um, I can I can suffer for a little while if it helps someone through their story because I know when I was coming out for a solid four or five months, I was very depressed, very sad. And it may not have seemed like that at school or on the basketball court, but I was really sad with life and I did not like my life at all. And, um, but I still, I tried to use my depression as motivation to help other kids that may be going through the same thing. 
because I think serving others, I know this is a big focus in the church, um, but also just in general for people, serving others brings you happiness. And so when I was feeling down and hating my life, I thought there are also kids in this school who are also down hating their lives, but they have no one in their corner when I knew I had the whole school behind me, my family, my friends. So I had people in my corner. So I thought if I could be that person in someone's corner, I should take advantage of that. Talk about coming out then. Did you come all out at once at Corner Canyon? Did you come out to um, smaller groups you connected with and just share with us more of that? Yeah. So the first group I came out to um, was a group of kids from Corner Canyon who do theater. I, the way I met them, I met them this year. I, um, I asked one of them to the school dance. We got in a group with their friends. Female. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I connected with them. Because I, I, I had spent my whole life around jocks, around athletes, and um, I just don't really connect with them as well because it's just sometimes the locker room talk can be very disrespectful and very just not my vibe. And that's okay. But these kids, I felt like I finally had a home with them. I just, it felt right. And so I had an automatic new group of best friends, which was awesome. And so about a month after knowing them, it was New Year's. And um, I came out to them and just, I wasn't really expecting it, but it felt okay. I felt safe. I knew I wasn't going to be judged there because I know there a lot of them are liberal and a lot of them are loving and accepting. And a lot of them are LDS too, but that doesn't make a difference. And so we, they just love everyone. And so I came out to them and that was the first group I ever came out to. And it was a massive step for me because I, it wasn't premeditated. I didn't go to the party thinking like, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm about to come out. Here we go. It was more like out of the blue. I was like, you know what? I feel comfortable enough with you guys to tell you this, this part of me. And so that was a massive step for me. I'm super thankful for that group. They know who they are. I hope they listen to this, but they really changed my life. And um, from that moment on, I started feeling more and more comfortable with myself because it was finally, it was out there to the world, not on a huge scale, but to about 10 kids from Corner Canyon. And then um, about four months later in April, I decided that it was time to come out to my two best friends from the basketball team, both straight, both LDS. And um, I was terrified because you never know how people are going to react, obviously. And um, they were my best friends. I didn't want to lose them because I, I just loved them so much. And so that was the scariest one for me. But I took them upstairs one day and uh, one night, actually. And, Your home? Uh, no, it was one of their homes. One of their homes. We, we, I went over. They were both there. I was like, hey, before we take off, we're going to go to Nickel Kate or some fun thing. Did you go there that night saying, this is the night I want to mm-hmm. tell my... I, I did. And I was, I kind of decided on the way over there. I was like, all right, this is what's going to happen. I ended up calling Abby, the girl I asked to the dance. She was, she's like my best friend. I love her so much. I called her. And I was like, Hey, I'm going to do this. Should I do it? And she was like, yeah, go for it. And so she kind of helped me. She helped, she's helped me a lot on this it's journey. Great. So you have friends that can shout out you. Abby. Um, love you, but ABBY or ABBY. Yeah. There you go, Abby. Want to get your name right there. Yeah. She's the best. Um, so yeah, I decided I was going to come out to them. I sat them down and I was like, Hey, so you're upstairs in one of their homes. It's before yeah. you're going to go out. They have no idea you're, I think, well, 
Or they so, may there may have been some rumors going around. Yeah, the school. and so I I sat them down. I was like, all right, I have something to tell you guys. Don't get weird on me. This doesn't affect our relationship at all. But I'm gay, and then um, they kind of just sat there for a sec, and then one of them, Andrew, he said, "I know." <laughs> he said someone had told him about three months prior that word had gotten around a little bit, and someone ended up telling him. And he said, I know, I've wanted to tell you that I know for a while, but I wanted you to get there on your own. So I'm thankful for him. Shout out, Andrew. <laughs> um, go, Andrew. But so he was a great friend for me, and he, he let me get there on my own. And the other one, Gabe, I'm not sure if he knew or not. I think he probably assumed because, I mean, there were little hints here and there, little Easter eggs. But um, I think Andrew for sure knew. And then we, they just asked me questions. They were respectful of it. They asked me my story. I told them because they knew I had bro- broken up with Ashley, but they didn't know why necessarily. And so I told them our whole story. They were respectful. They were kind. And they, were, they just gave me a hug. And they said, we love you no matter what. And Gabe actually said, he said, we've been, we've been through too much to lose us now. So I'm sorry, but you're stuck with us. It's great. And yeah, so great that was amazing that was i'm so lucky to have them in my life as well and so up until this point it had all been positive i had no negative experiences which Talk i'm talking about why for. it's harder to come out to the gate the straight guys that are your friends i mean um i think you just why that can potentially people. be the most helpful yeah you just never know how people are going to react and especially when it's your best friends that you've known for so long um, cause you just don't know if you'll lose them and that's losing people's heart. Losing people you love is hard. But when you do gain the acceptance of someone who's different than you say from a straight man, who's like, it doesn't matter that that was eye opening for me that maybe things are getting a little better in the world, at least in our community a little bit, because I know if that were 10 years ago, they probably would not talk to me. And so I waited until after basketball because I didn't want to mess with our team chemistry because we were about to win state. And so I wasn't, I wasn't trying to mess up the locker room or anything, but, um, yeah, they were super awesome, super accepting. They're still awesome. We we're still best friends. And so that was now, cool. You know, older people listen to these podcasts. How old are you? I'm 18. You know, and they, they message me and they're, it just gives them so much hope because, you know, just the experience you've shared with Andrew and Gabe, two of your jock friends. I don't know if that's the right vocabulary. Just yeah. two of your homies. That's the vocabulary my high school son would use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just have been together for a long time. They've been through everything. They've got each other's back. And mm-hmm. to have you come out as gay to two of, you know, your close friends and for them to react that way. You know, the other people have, have messaged me sometimes. I just wish that could have happened for me. And I know. And, and I feel for people that. And your sense before. of that, but there's something so healing about, you know, some of the, we've had some guests on the podcast. We had some um, members of the Viewmont class of whatever, a married couple and their gay high school friend. And it was the straight, you know, guy that just said, he's my friend, you know, nothing's changed. Um, that almost was more helpful than his wife. So sometimes the, the women, come to the space easier than the straight guys. So some, so you straight guys out there <laughs> that are listening, you have a role here to really... Massive role. A massive role. Why? Because you know you're going to be accepted by And I by mean the guy community. by men and women. So this isn't a, just a guy, a men thing. And, and it, for you, 
being a man, it's a little better from the men to have, and the women, they need straight women, but go ahead. So, you know, you're going to be accepted by the gay community, obviously, when you come out, because they're also out, it's there, they share similar stories. And usually women are okay with it too, because, um, typically like gay men spend more time with women. They connect with women easier. They have more women friends. And so you're probably going to be accepted by that group too. But then when you're accepted by straight men, it's kind of like a different, it hits differently. It It's a different click where it finally clicks it. Maybe everyone loves me for who I am, not just the ones that want to, you know what I mean? And so at least that's how it was for me where I finally realized that this, like this is real, but people are okay with it. And finding out that my two best friends were okay with it that was that was a revelation for me maybe everyone will be okay with this you know that's i really love that um talk about their families their parents i don't know if they you know if you had any interaction with gabe or andrew's family as they've known you were gay and what kind of um reception because i assume you've been in these homes your whole life and honestly i don't even know if they told them right away or if they didn't or if they kind of kept it secret, but obviously they know now because I'm publicly out. I, I'm very out now. (laughs) Um, but they've been super supportive as well. They'd still love me. They still let me come to their house and eat dinner with them. And I love, I love them. They've been a big part of my life. And so I'm thankful for them and they haven't brought it up. They haven't really said anything and I'm cool with it. I don't, I don't feel the, need to like shake the boat if it doesn't need to be shaken. So we're, we're just, we're you don't still need doing to have thing. this conversation with everybody. You probably don't want right. to have it. It can well, be kind of exhausting. Yeah. If they wanted to, I'm, I'm always willing for, and open for questions because I'm just an open person. Obviously I'm on this podcast sharing my story, but if they, if they came up to me asking questions saying, trying to understand more, I'd be like, yeah, I would, I would let them know. But I think, I think if they're okay with me being gay and, they're okay with not talking about it. I'm fine with not talking about it too. But if they want to talk about it, I'm also fine with talking about it. Yeah, so it, it makes no difference to me. I like this idea that you said at some point, I was just thinking about this 24-7. Yeah. You know, what is my sexuality? Who am I? Where do I fit? And you're on this personal journey with good people in your life helping you. Are yeah. you do you still think about it 24-7 or is it less? I'd say it's more... Mm, 21 six just <laughs> almost 24 7 but not quite so it's it's um it's becoming a little less and less and i think about it less and less but it's it's still a big thing on my mind and obviously with these podcasts i'm doing i'm going to be thinking about yeah. it a lot but it's now it's not a negative thing where when it was 24 7 it was eating away at me why are you like this why do you like boys why why just why why do I have to be like this? But now it's more, I'm glad I'm like this. I'm thankful for these opportunities I'm given. I'm hopeful that I can share my story and help others. So I think about it a lot, just in a different way. Before it was negative. Before it was, my life is shattering. What am I going to do? What's going on? Why is this happening? And now it's more, Um, I'm just, I'm thankful and I'm okay with myself now. And obviously I still struggle. And I think there will always be days where I struggle. And that's a common theme in coming out stories is that it's not easy. And 
it's gotten easier, but that doesn't mean it's easy. But it's it's getting better, and now my thought my thought has shifted. Very good at communicating. It's a real gift for you, and I know you Thank want to you. be you're going to psychology and would like to be a therapist. But right. I just see natural gifts as you're able to talk, and I think that will help you in your career. Thank you. Um, you know, as you talk about this, I, the thoughts come to my mind a little bit about um, <clears throat> just the stages of grief you go through in your own life because you did right. have you had these hopes and these dreams with Ashley and that just all kind of shattered as you fully came aware of who you are. And Mm -hmm. when you talk about depression, is there a way to link what, what kind of led you in the depression? And, and I think the other podcast, uh, you frame this up as situational depression, which is very helpful. Just help our listeners understand a little bit about depression, situational depression and, and what you think kind of brought this on for you and then what brought you out of it? Yeah. So, um, when I first started coming out, I was really sad, obviously, because I was still in the relationship with Ashley. I, our end was inevitable. We tried to postpone it. We tried to put it off, but it was going to happen. Um, but the, the way I kind of look at it is that I was kind of mourning the death of straight Luke, where this idea <laughs> I had in my head of what my life was going to be, how it was going to turn out it was dead. It was gone. But that was only looking back it. It's not dead and it's not gone because I'm still going to do the same things I wanted to do. I'm still going to have kids. I'm still going to have a successful career. I'm still going to live the life I want to do, but it'll just be with a man. Um, but so I was, I was really sad because it felt like my life had shattered. And so I go to my therapist and I, I'm obviously I'm depressed at the time and I say, what's going on? This isn't me. I'm, I'm very happy. I'm a very, I'm just a very upbeat person in general. And she told me that it was, it was situational, that it was, um, adaptation. Like I just need to adapt. And once I had adapted to this new life that I had and this new vision of what my future was going to be, it would, it would be gone. It would be lifted. And so I knew it would end, but that doesn't make it easier that, because I know it wasn't some chemical thing in my brain and it was, it was just what I was going through at the moment and I knew it would end, but in the moment it felt forever long. And I remember nights where it felt like I'd never been happy. And I I don't know if people, people listening to this that have been through depression, I know it's extremely difficult and I, I only had it for about four or five months and I don't know compared to others how, how bad mine was or, but it, it was hard on me. And there were nights where I felt like I'd never been happy and I would never be happy again. And I would sit there kind of feeling like a black hole where it just felt like nothing. And, um, but I knew it would be lifted eventually. And I think coming out to that group of friends lifted it a little bit and then talking more and more with them about being gay or like about just like little things like talking about boys or and them not looking at me weird or like me wearing what I want to wear and them not looking at me weird. It lifted my depression more and more. And then eventually I just felt comfortable with myself. And that's when I ended up coming out to Gabe and Andrew when I was 100% sure with my sexuality. I, I say 100% sure. No one's I mean, I'm not 100% sure of anything, but I, I felt comfortable enough 
Um, but the more and more comfortable you become, the less this depression was weighing on me. Um, are Andrew or Gabe LDS, are they going on missions? Yeah, so Andrew is going on a mission. He puts in his papers in November. Gabe is going to Purdue Northwest to play basketball. That's cool. It's just south of Chicago. Um, and he plans on going on a mission in a year. But, I mean, you can never predict the future. Yeah. But they are both LDS, yeah. You know, I had a son that had a somebody came out to, on his mission, one of his companions. He called it Pillow Talk. They just kind of were open. And one of his sons, one of my son's companions came out. And uh, so I'm thinking about, you know, Andrew and Gabe and all the men and women at uh, Corner Canyon that may save, serve missions or will be parents and have people come out to them. And I have to think you've prepared them and you've helped a lot of people because there's a lot of people in your circle that are going to have people come out to them during their life. Yeah. And, um, and you've, and they're going to go back to you and they're going to think, yeah, you know, this, you know, Luke is a really good guy. He was a really good friend. And, mm -hmm. and so I think you've helped a lot of people. Any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, well, the way Jill said it in the previous podcast I did on human stories was, um, if anyone comes out to you, it's sacred. That's how she described it. And I think that was so beautiful is that they're opening up to you and they're sharing this part with you. And so if anyone does come out to you, it is sacred and that's so scary and it's so hard to come out to people. And so just honor that and just know regardless of your beliefs, regardless of your religious ideology or your political beliefs or whatnot, everyone is a person. Every single person has thoughts and feelings. And so just be with that person. You may not agree on everything. That's fine. You don't have to. Find the good in people, like I said, and and find your similarities because I guarantee there's a lot more similarities than there are differences. I love that. And I just, you know, you know, Gabe and Andrew, I, I would guess will be life friends and you know, they may be parents one day have a son come out to them. Um, they yeah. may have a missionary companion. They may teach somebody that's LGBTQ on their mission and think of their friend Luke. And you've humanized LGBTQ people for the, I don't know about Gabe and Andrew for sure, but I would assume you're one of the first gay people they know and you're a friend. Exactly. And so we're all the sort of um, homophobia and I don't, not know if they had any at the time. I certainly did when I started to meet with gay people. I realized that a lot of stuff I'd picked up was some straight people and it wasn't right. Well, the thing is that I've realized um, with the LDS church, but also with just people in general, is that they may have homophobia, but it's not always conscious. It's always, not always, it's sometimes just ignorance. It's just they don't know. And so with, with me coming out in, in the Draper community, in the Corner Canyon community, in the Utah community, Hopefully it just opens some eyes that you don't have to be some, it's not what you see in the media. It's not, not every gay person is the same either. And I'm not saying the people that are flamboyant and the people that are just living their lives how they want to. I love that. I respect it so much, but, and maybe in the future, that'll be something I partake of. I don't know. But it, for Very me right at the moment, it's not necessarily for me. And I think people will see that and, that's it's just all about respect for everyone, but um, I think just ignorance and kind of um, enlightening people that the gay community is literally the same as every other community. They just are attracted to the same sex, or they're 
transgender, what, what have you. And so we still live, we still go to the grocery store and we still pay bills and we still do all that. It's the exact same. And so I think for me, um, when that kind of clicked, when I spent some time with some family friends that are gay, seeing their house, just be a normal house, then see them cooking dinner together, see them like, like mowing the lawn. It's like, it's so stupid to think that like, that's such a hard, that was a hard thing for me to picture, but I'm still going to live a normal life. And I think for the straight allies, that's a great lesson to learn is that they're just normal people. Yeah, I've thought about a phrase that sometimes I hear that's, you know, um, a threat to the family. And it's sort of this, we just say a threat to the family sometimes. And um, and sometimes that's code language for LGBTQ people are a threat to the family. And I'm uncomfortable with that. I, I look at, I just look at LGBTQ people and you have a hope to marry a man and raise a family. And is that a threat to my straight family? It's not. Exactly. I mean, my straight family and our straight marriage can kind of stand on its own merits. I don't need to sort of go after your marriage, assuming you marry a man and sort of lift my marriage on your back. Exactly. And, and I can just, yeah, I have doctrine that I believe in in our church, but part of my doctrine in the church is to be kind to other people. And like you're teaching us and love everybody. So yeah. I just honor your journey, Luke. And mm-hmm. I don't have, I don't sort of feel a need to sort of, if I'm going to say what's, you know, if I'm going to think about threats to the family, I'm going to think about um, fatherless society, men that, you know, leave their families or po- or or have multiple, you know, multiple relationships, father all these kids and then leave and don't take responsibility for their kids. I think of um, fathers, I think of kids being sold into sex trafficking. I think of the border and the separation of um, families to the border. I think of governments with ethnic cleansing. And I think those are the real threats to the family. You're not a threat to to my family. The thing is... um... I actually did a research project on this in um, in English class this year. I did it on gay adoption and fostering. And the thing is, with with gay parents, um, they have to, they have to take a different route to get kids. Obviously, they can't have them them the traditional way. And so, most of the time, the gay parents really want kids. They want them, and they will love them, and they will treat them so well because they had to jump through so many hoops to get there. They had to do so much paperwork, do all that, do all that. There are no accidents in the gay community. And so these, these parents, they want, they want their kids so badly and they will do anything for these kids. So they, yeah, they may not have the traditional mother and father figure, but they will have two loving mothers or two loving fathers that will love them unconditionally. And so I think it doesn't matter where you're getting that love from. If you have two loving parents, you're going to be fine. You're going to be well off. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. And I think my guess is the research that you're talking about as we just have more time will recognize that kids in a, a situation where both parents are gay, they can grow up, they can and will grow up and be great kids. Exactly. Just and normal I, kids. I think that's just a maturing of our society. And I think historically we've just kind of said things not based on fact that kind of keep everything in a nice tidy box about race and about the role of women. And I think we're just maturing as a society to understand and humanize LGBTQ people. I I like the way you said that. It's just a tidy little box. That's kind of how I felt at Corner Canyon was that I was in this box of 
student body officer, basketball player. And um, I kind of broke out of that box, obviously, when I came out. And one thing I struggled with recently was kind of feeling like I was in another box, just a different box of gay man. You know what I mean? And so my whole life is kind of at the moment is kind of breaking stereotypes. And it's hard to do because you kind of you, you're just like you're nudged into your little your group, your stereotype. And so I think, like you said, with race and role of women, there are so many stereotypes to be broken in society. And um, one thing I said to my friend once when we were having a healthy, respectful conversation about politics, and I love having those, but um, I said, I think the constant things, people always say the only inevitable things in life are death and taxes. But I think social reform is also one of the most constant things because you look back at, at times in the past and there were times when they there was thought that like black men would never be with white men. And now look at us. We still have work to do, obviously. But I think social reform is going to be constant. And the people that ignore social reform, those are the ones that are going to be left behind. And so if we can embrace that as a community, just not it doesn't have to do with your religion or your skin tone if you are able to embrace change you're gonna go places and so i'm i'm trying to change the perception of me of that box that i've felt like i was in now this new box that i feel like i have to fit in and i'm trying to just break out of every box we don't need boxes no one needs a box that just it holds people back and so i think social reform is a hundred percent gonna happen and it's always gonna happen and if you don't like that you got to get with it because it's gonna be there yeah i think that's very helpful and i've had to sort of look inward to see some of that and you know as an lds guy here i you know how do i frame this up for lds listeners and i just you know invite everybody to live the teachings of our church everything good in my life has come from the teachings of our church i've seen people join our faith that have been blessed but I just kind of leave everybody's life. I like the principle of self-determination a therapist taught me that at the end of the day, my job is to help everybody, you know, to have good principles for them to self-determine the path in their life that works for them. So you're self-determining the right path for you. Right. And I just honor that. I don't feel a need to sort of project, you know, if you come to me and say, what do you think about my path? I might, and I'm a trusted friend in your life. I might give you a thought or two, but my job is just, Luke, is just to just kind of put my hands in your back as you're making your way in life and just support you. Yeah. And I think that's, I love that idea. And I love that, that mindset. And I think if everyone adopted that mindset in, in America or in the world, I think we would go so many more places with our lives because not everyone's going to live the same life, but that's what makes life beautiful is that we all have different routes and we all have different paths and we all have different strengths and gifts and talents. And if we all just support each other on our way there, we're all just trying to be happy. And so we're not going to be the same and we're not going to have the same routes. But if we support each other on those routes, we'll, we'll go so much further. I want to go back to just the culture of locker room talk. You use that phrase and the yeah. culture of theater and and the culture of conservative versus liberal. Because in the back of my mind, I love the way you recognize their differences, but I would suggest, and I think you'd probably agree, that we could develop um, a healthy culture in all of those different environments for LGBTQ, women, race, and 
and as we just mature. So talk about locker room talk and why, even though you're a starting member of the state basketball teams, you totally belong. You didn't connect fully because of locker room talk. That's a good way to put it. I didn't connect fully because I did connect with them. They were obviously some of my best friends. I loved them. I joked around with them. I had fun. But when the jokes turned to being disrespectful to women or um, racist or homophobic, if anyone would say, oh, like that's so gay, I would obviously put them in their place right away and say, what do you mean? What, like, that's not negative. Or if they would say the F word and the derogatory term, um, I don't like saying it, but it's good. Um, I, I'm not okay with that. And I think if they're disrespecting women, I'm not okay with that. And I, you don't have to be a woman to be, to think it's unacceptable to disrespect women. And so that's, I think if we can just get to the point where yeah, you can you can joke around in the locker room. You can have a good time. You can have fun. But when it starts being at the expense of other people, that's not acceptable. Do you think that happens more in a sports situation than other circles? Yeah. Because you are in multiple circles yeah. in Out Corner Canyon. I so you're not just sort of so. in this one group. You're really unique in the sects you're finding in the sense you're connecting with a lot of different groups in the yeah. high school level. I definitely think so because I don't know it's just a bunch of immature young men in the same place I think they all just it's kind of the snowball effect one of them starts it and it's like the mob mentality of where if everyone's doing it yeah it's probably okay and then you start it starts rolling it starts getting more disrespectful more disrespectful and then it becomes commonplace and I think in in groups such as the theater community um there, there's a lot of people from minorities in the in theater, and so people will stand up for that. And if, if someone's disrespectful, they'll be put in their place. But um, at least from my point of view, um, the the locker room is mostly just straight white guys, and they've never had to. When you're with a bunch of those same types of people, they don't really get put in their place very often, and they're not told that what they're doing is wrong. And once they're told that... And most you do that at times. Yeah, I did that a lot, actually. And I think people would get annoyed with me and people would get bugged. But I am i don't care. I'm passionate about it. And I think if, if we're willing to compromise other people's rights and other people's respect, like, what else are we going to compromise in the future? Like, we have to start small and stand up for what we believe in because, I mean, I can't go out at the moment and start some big nonprofit for feminism that's just not my cards at the moment but i can i can tell my friends that to stop being disrespectful of women and stop talking about women in a certain way and that it has the same impact and so you have to start small and you have to stand up for what you believe in even if people don't agree with you and i think a lot of my friends would get tired of me doing that and eventually they just learn not to say that stuff around me and that's great. They shouldn't say that stuff from me or anyone. And so I, by the time we graduate, I noticed a lot of them trying to, a lot of them were trying to go on missions as well. And so they were trying to clean up a little bit of their lifestyle. And so if they would say something, they would immediately apologize and say like, Hey, I'm working on it. And so let me just talk about the irony of that. Here's the gay, not LDS guy helping the, helping the LDS straight guy kind of improved so we could get on a mission. Yeah. I don't think he wanted to quite say it that way, but 
you are helping us become a better people. Yeah, and I think everyone can help everyone become a better person. And um, I think one thing I struggled with was trying to not sound condescending when I would correct people because it's not it's not necessarily like I'm saying it because I think I'm better than you. I'm like, hey, don't be like that. I'm I'm above you because I one of my friends <laughs> once told me to. Um, step off my high horse when I told him to not talk about a girl a certain way. But it's more because I work on stuff like that too. Like when I say things that are unacceptable or if something, if I accidentally say something racist or um, sexist, like people make mistakes. Like you just apologize, recognize that what you said is wrong and try not to say it again and don't say it again. But I think when I first started correcting people, it kind of came off in the wrong way sometimes. And I'm still working on that where I'm like, Hey, can you please not like, that's just so disrespectful. And I'm like, I know I'm working on it too. Like, let's just, let's get better together. It's a great sign of leadership and it takes a lot of courage in that environment when you want to sort of belong to a group to then potentially risk that by sharing, you know, how we can do better. It takes a lot of courage, Luke. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I'm a confident enough person. Were your coaches adding to the locker room talk or was this sort of the boys? No, it was just the boys. The we would never talk around like that around our coaches because, I mean, we respected them too much to even. So that's good to know. Yeah, so. and so the coaches they're totally respectful, and I actually, I just sent my first podcast episode to my two coaches. I texted it to them, and great. They um they've been super supportive and super loving, and that's great. So and they're both LDS as well, and both straight, but they they got my back no matter what, and um. That's so they, they never contributed to that. They were super respectful, great role models, and I'm lucky to have had them in my life. Yeah, I just think, um, I'm going to read a quote um, from Brene Brown that really helps me understand this. Common enemy intimacy is the opposite of true belonging. If the bond we share is simply we hate the same people, the intimacy we experience is intense, immediately gratifying, and an easy way to discharge our outrage and pain. It is not, however, fuel for real connection. Any thoughts on that? That's a hundred percent right. And, and that's how I view it too. I think um, I'm just all about, like I said, I've mentioned this multiple times already is finding the good in people. And if all you do is focus on what you have um, different from each other, there's nothing you're going to gain out of that. Like yeah. you might get a good joke right then at the moment, but it's at someone else's expense and that's never right. That's not kind you wouldn't want people doing that to you. I know now that I'm out, I know people are probably talking about me. I don't know if it's negative or positive. I mean, I'll never be able to tell, but I wouldn't want them talking negatively about me because I'm not negative about other people. So like, again, I said this earlier, it's like one of my core beliefs is just mutual respect for everyone. And, um, but I totally agree with that. I think that's a beautiful quote. So I guess our our listeners, you know, this locker room talk, I would say, is an umbrella term for lots of situations where we find intimacy by, you know, by creating a bond that we are negative towards another group of people. So it can happen in my church where we sit in church and take on another faith in kind of an unhealthy emotional way or or LGBTQ. And I think we can just learn to stand um, up for who we are on our own merits and not have to sort of take on another group of people to create a bond because yeah i love part of this quote is yeah we if we just if we connect because we hate another group of people we do connect it's Mm -hmm. an authentic connection but it's not a 
a fuel for real connection and it doesn't really help us um, emotionally be in the very best spot. If I just watch my news channel just to hear them bash on the other side, that may make me feel good, but it may not really... You're not really gaining I may anything. just, yeah, I'm not gaining anything in my anxiety and stress as I hear how bad the other side is just might increase versus yeah. a more neutral approach. To, I, I finally quit watching cable TV, Luke, because it just stressed me out. And now yeah. I still am very educated, but it's just fact-based um, news. And I do think we could evolve that um, even conservative circles um, can have the same healthy conversation that, quote, liberal schools or circles are having about women race and LGBTQ, because it should just be principles that bring us together well, as you're sharing. I, the thing that I think, I think your political ideology should not affect your opinions about humans. You wow, know what I mean? that's powerful, Luke. <laughs> so I think you can have your opinions on, um, on economics or um, you can have your opinions on the illegal aliens that are coming in our country or it doesn't matter. But that should not impact how you view women or how you view gay people or how you view any minorities. It shouldn't matter. You should still love everyone because I know there are conservative gay people out there and I know there are liberal straight people. It doesn't matter, but it shouldn't impact how you, your love for other people because you can, you can love everyone unconditionally and still think something about economics. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I really agree with you. Um, any final thoughts you'd like to share, Luke? I'm just looking through my notes. You've done such a good job here. Any final thoughts? Tell us, I would like, tell us just what your 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 plans are for college and what you hope to study and what you like to do. Um, yeah, actually before that, I would like to say, so I came out to Gabe and Andrew and then I came out right before graduation and I was speaking at graduation. Yeah, so yeah, and, tell us this. Yeah, so I'm I glad you're circling to, back to this. I came out to student government as a whole at a barbecue that we had, they were all super loving and supportive. How do you do that? Do you just say, I'd like to say something? Um, or? So, so this is how it went down. I so mean, even to do that, you've got to orchestrate a moment where they're listening. I, you yeah. Know. And so we were, I made these awards. It's like tradition that the SBO president um, makes these funny awards. They all have like jokes or like little jabs at people. And I give them out a little trophy. And um, at the end I was like, Hey, Thank you, everyone, for such a good year. I mean, we accomplished a lot. You were all so awesome, such good friends. Um, I know there have been rumors going around. I'm not sure how abundant they've been, but I am gay, and this year has been really hard for me. But having you guys to back me up and having an automatic friend group has been awesome. And so just thank you. And everyone just stood up and gave a gave me a big hug and That's showed great. their love and support. And so... That's, out to them. that's great. And right after that, there was actually another party from our school that a bunch of them went to. And so word spread quick. And by that night, or at least the day, the next day, a lot of, a lot of people knew. And I was okay with that because I knew that it would get out if I came out to that big of a group, especially all the popular kids that pe they talk, they like to talk, they network. That's how they got there. <laughs> that's and funny. so, um, yeah, by graduation, everyone knew. A lot of the parents in the crowd knew. Um, and so I gave a speech on kindness. A lot of what I'm talking about right now is how we can help each other. As the SBO president, appropriately speaking, at graduation. Yeah, and I mean, I had to audition as well, like everyone else, but I was glad they chose me. Um, 
but I spoke on kindness and how it can impact the world and how we can make a difference. And um, I there was a little segment where I talked about the dark place I was in this year and how my friends I came out to helped me get through it. And I didn't say I was gay, but I kind of alluded to it. And um, the support was phenomenal and the outreach after my speech was great. And um, I had parents I didn't even know coming up to me, giving me hugs. I had teachers crying in the crowd. It was awesome. It was awesome. So it made my speech more powerful. And so I was thankful for that opportunity. And that's when Jill's daughter, Anna, reached out to me about the podcast. And that's how this has all started. But um, yeah, that's the end of my, not the end. That's the end of that chapter of my coming out story. I assume looking back, you're really glad you came out. I am. Um, so that you're leaving that corner canyon experience authentic with who you are. Yeah. Yeah. And talk about, I assume you've just been inundated with messages of other gay, you know, of other LGBTQ people knowing they can kind of open up to you about their story or parents asking, how do I help my kid? And I assume you've just been flooded with messages. You know, not as much as you would assume, but I have gotten some. And I hope more people feel comfortable enough to talk to me about it because I'm an open book and I love, I, I want to help people because I have some of those experiences they may be going through. But um, right after my speech, I actually got a message from an anonymous account. Um, they were saying, you're so brave, redefining what it is to be a gay man. You should be proud of yourself. I could not have come out at Corner Canyon, still can't come out at the U. Wow. Um, but they're like, I was there for a sibling. Like you made me cry a beautiful speech. And, um, I started talking to them. I was like, Hey, who is this? Um, but obviously they weren't ready and they said, I'm just not there yet. And I was like, take your time. This is your journey, your story. Mine was very fast, but not everyone's is like that. Most people's aren't like that. And so I, I recognize that. And as we talked for about an hour and I was like, you're valid. This is your story. Do your thing. If you ever need to talk, I'm here. And that was really cool because that was immediate the night of and um, just knowing that I'd at least touched one person and I'm, I hope I touched more. But And then after my podcast with Jill came out yesterday, I had messages and messages of people saying like, hey, proud of you. Listen to that. It was amazing. Love you. And I got some of like I, I think I mentioned earlier those kids that um, came to me and uh said that my story had helped them with their coming out and it influenced them to like decide to come out and it's just i i just feel lucky that because not everyone gets gets this opportunity to share their story and so i i just want to roll with it and take advantage of it and the more opportunities that come my way i'm going to seek them out and hopefully more and more can come of it yeah i think it's great and i think it's courage but i think it's really needed so i mean I have a belief in God and I would sort of say this is God's plan for you, you know, and you kind of knew this would be your journey and he's given you all these gifts, strengths and attributes and that all this different uniqueness about you, you know, all comes together to form Luke. Yeah. And who Luke is is really awesome and Luke's mission and the things you'll do in your future are really unique and wonderful and we need you here to help us become a better people. You're going to heal a lot of people with your therapy. I have this quote called the wounded healer I share on a lot of podcasts. And the wounded healer um, is someone, you know, a minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded 
by the suffering about what she speaks, the great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led out of the desert by someone who's never been there. Yeah. But that's you, Luke. Yeah. And you're a leader, but we're all a little wounded. Exactly. And you have felt the desert of depression. You felt the desert of being closeted. You would then become more sensitive to women, people of other races, and just other marginalized groups. And you see the world not through, you see it through their eyes. Yeah. And then you're able to heal and give hope to a lot of people. And that's, you know, my take on just where you're going with your life. And talk about psychology, because that's sort of leading people out of the desert type of a career. Yeah. Um, I mean, for a while, I thought I wanted to do psychiatry, go to med school and do that. My dad is a plastic surgeon. Oh. And so med school is kind of in the cards for me. But um, I don't really want to do med school. I don't. I'm not passionate about medicine. I don't, I, I mean, prescribing meds to people that are ill would be awesome. Um, but I want to talk to people. I want to, like we're doing right now, I want to just be face-to-face, one-on-one, and help people through their stuff. And there's no other career that I can do that better than um, therapy. And I've always thought that in high school, it find, it clicked like junior year. When I was in math class, I said, this is a waste of time for me. Not Maybe not for other people. Because th- we need math, obviously. It helps us figure out the world. But for me, with what I want to do, I don't need math. I need words. And I need, to, I need a platform. And I need a voice. And so that's why I loved psychology. Because I love the brain. I love people. And so that was awesome. I I didn't love English class, but I realized that I needed it for what I was going to do. I think communication is just massive. And so, yeah, those classes really shaped my future and my career, and especially student government as well, because I had to interact with administration and I had to speak at assemblies and I spoke at graduation and I had to, I had to get things done and I had to be a problem solver and I had to be proactive and, those are all skills I'll take into my my career and my life going forward. And so I think if there are any high school kids listening to this right now, do student government because <laughs> it, it teaches you amazing lessons. And so I'm thankful for that. But I, I realized that math and science, they're fine. I like science actually, but they're, they're okay for me, but I need to speak to people. That's, I think people make the world go round. So you'd love to have a clinical practice where you're meeting with people one yeah. on one, LGBTQ and broader. Yeah, I just I would love to do like some sexual affirmation therapy and stuff like that, but also couples therapy, even people with disorders such as like bipolar. I would get a lot of depression, and I think, like you said, like the wounded, the wounded healer. I've been through some of this stuff. I know yeah. I can I can relate to them, and I'm a very empathetic person just in general. I've always been. And so I think, I don't know, I've, I've done a lot of soul searching and I think therapy was carved out for me. I think this is, I mean, obviously I, I can't tell the future and I m- might change my major in college, but at the moment, I feel like this is the perfect career for me. And I'm just, I'm psyched about it. I mean, so excited. That's awesome. And I would just say, you know, this is your road, man. Yeah. And I love the way you're very, the word that came to my mind is you were describing your future as Mm self-aware. You are very self-aware of who you are, Luke. 
and what your role is and what you can do. And I think that's a real gift. Not many men and women your age understand that. And I think it's because you've been stretched and you've been exposed to a lot of environments. You're not a one-dimensional sort of guy. You're multidimensional. And I love the way then I think you're very self-aware of your gifts and what you want to do. Yeah. And the way you framed up one, why you want to, you know, get a psychology degree and go into therapy just totally fits. Yeah. And we need people like you in our society that can help people. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just, you know, I look forward to what you're going to be able to do. Some of the thoughts coming to my mind is I want to circle back to buy, and I think Luke would agree with this. Um, a lot of gay people that I talk to first identify as bi, yeah. and then they become gay. But there are some people that are legit bi, and we've mm -hmm. done some podcasts on some people that are bi. And, and Luke didn't do anything to minimize the bi experience here, but I think it's just important. I just wanted to bring voice to our friends that are actually bi, that that is a real thing. It is. <laughs> And I think you know that. Yeah. And so if you want to search back other episodes, I've learned, I just had to learn this talking to people that bi is a real thing. And, but a lot of people do, you know, sort of start identifying as bi. And then like you do, they fully become aware that they're gay. And I think that's fine. Well, it's, it's easier to come out as bisexual because then there's still the hope that you may like women and I was clinging to that. Sure. And so. That's not weakness. That's yeah, just reality. It, it's scary. And it, obviously it's not, it wasn't just a fear that held me back. It was, I didn't know because I knew there was something there. I knew I was attracted to men to some degree. Um, but I, I didn't know I was gay at the moment. And I think a lot of people may like invalidate my story because of that, but that's just part of my journey that I didn't yeah. know. And I think that that's another stereotype I can break down hopefully is that you don't have to know when you're a little kid because I like that. the way my the way my therapist described it to me was that sexuality is so fluid that you may not know I had only been a sexual being for 3 years, 2 years, went about 15 when I started figuring stuff out and so for 2 years I thought I liked girls for the rest of my life I'll be attracted to men. So it's so fluid, it's hard to decipher what you're attracted to and if there's any confusion you're not going to know right away and so um i like that yeah and a general principle that i'd share with anybody listening is to go slow like lucas done you don't have to figure this all out it doesn't mean if you realize you're not straight that what exactly your path is i think you you, you can go slow as you're just figuring this out. Okay. And I love the way you introduce this podcast. Says, this is my story. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's story is different. So if someone comes out as bi, you may in the back of the mind think, well, this is just them be eventually becoming out of gay. And that may be true, but it may not. And you just need to let everybody learn their own story, just as Luke is sharing. Exactly. And forcing that on people saying, oh, you're not bi, you're gay. That's wrong. That's and that's good. I'm glad Ashley let me get there on my own because... If she said that to me at that moment, I'd be pissed. I'd be so mad because <laughs> I, at the moment, I thought I was bi. And th that's just so invalidating and so hurtful to if someone thinks, if someone's telling you their feelings and they say they're bi. And like, like me, I was uncertain, but I thought I was. If someone had just invalidated me at that moment, I'd be hurt. And so if someone tells you you're bi, they mean it. They're not saying it for no reason. And they might come out as gay later, but they might not. That might just be them. And bisexuality, it 
it's probably the most underrepresented community in the LGBT community. A little, it's they just people think it's fake a lot of the times when it's not. And so for me, it wasn't the full me, but that's okay. But like for other people, it's gonna be the full them, and they can be attracted to men or women, and it that's just them. And saying you're wrong, that's not you. That's hurtful and that's incorrect and that's not okay another thought and you don't need this advice luke but if there's other listeners that are younger if you you know if you feel like you're going to start to date someone of your own sex my advice is to date someone in your own age group i i you know i think sometimes when you come out and you're vulnerable older people may reach out to you and i'm not worried about you luke but you know, I just, I'd go slow. And if there's other older people reaching out to you and you may feel a need that they're, you know, they're interested in you and that feels really cool and they're validating who you are and that feels really cool. And we all need to feel validated love that you're really cautious about older people reaching out to you that want to date you um, and try to date and just go slow and try to date people in your own age group. I don't know if you've got any advice in that area. I think you're obviously you're doing a good job on that. Well, the thing is, there are creeps everywhere, straight, gay, everyone. They're, well they're just creepy people everywhere. And so just be aware, not every, you can't trust everyone. And Good. you can, you can talk to them. You can, um, you can like explore it a little bit, but you got to be aware of red flags. And if it's not okay, you got to be able to say, Hey, I don't feel comfortable. See ya. <laughs> so, and that's just you being strong and yeah. And don't be afraid to cut someone off and block somebody on social media. That's that's a sign of strength. And exactly. Especially if someone's trying to cut you off and separate you from trusted loved ones in your life, like that's your wrong. parent, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. So if you're in a relationship like that, you've got to, you know, I don't like the blanket advice, but that's a red flags. So yeah, you, just, be, just be aware and be smart and I think educate yourself on, because I know some people, they might not see those red flags right away, but just be just be aware and just focus on yourself. And if that person is not good for you, then don't do it. It's and that's pretty simple. That leads into my second advice. I think we both give everybody the same advice. You've got to, if, you know, I'm still the LDS guy that's inviting everybody to stay for those of you that are LDS. But if you feel self, if you're self-determining that your road is, you know, a same-sex marriage, then I think you've got to find somebody that lifts you and make you a better person. Exactly. And just the same advice we'd all get to straight people is you've got to find, you know, it's got to be one plus one equals three. You've got to, because of this person in your life, you've got to say, not only is that person a better person, that I'm a better person, we're accomplishing more together than we could ever accomplish. And it's not one person rescuing the other one. And I don't scientifically know if there's more. I just think sometimes perhaps a LGBTQ person gets in their first relationship and it's not healthy. And but it's so needed because they finally have someone that loves them. Yeah. And that's probably true of straight people that get in a first relationship. So yeah, it's just general advice. I probably shouldn't pin that on one community, but any thoughts on that, Luke? I think, um, just, I think a lot of people get in relationships when they're not ready for them because they feel like they need that love, but you can give yourself that love. You, and I'm a very, you I'm a give firm, yourself that love. I'm a firm believer on, you have to love yourself before you can love someone else. And that's one of the main reasons I had to break up with Ashley at the time, because I wanted to love her and I wanted to give her that relationship and I wanted to be there for her. 
but I wasn't being myself and I wasn't loving myself at the time. I, I hated who I was at the time. And so I had to switch my focus to be, all right, it's, it's like the common, the common phrase that they use a lot is, um, is you have to apply your own oxygen mask when the plane is crashing than before doing someone else's. And I'm huge on that. And so focus on yourself. If you're ready for a relationship, then I'm, I love relationships. I'm a big relationship guy, but if you're not, you got to also recognize that. And I think just self-reflection is big being with your thoughts and feelings. Don't avoid them. Don't ignore them. If you're sad, sit in your bed and be sad for a sec and really dig deep and see why am I sad? Why am I feeling this way? And then you can kind of, you can get to the root of problems and you can figure a lot of stuff out that way. Luke, I keep forgetting you're 18. <laughs> um, there were some really good nuggets in that. I hope all our listeners pick that up, that I think dating from a position of strength is your best self is a lot better than dating from a, a position of weakness. And so, yeah, I, I, that's just great. I think you've got to be your best self. You've got to take care of yourself first. If a relationship is not helping you be a better person, you've got to be strong enough to pull out of a relationship and recognize that. And, and really strong people are able to do that. So great nuggets from Luke. Um, any more on that subject before we move on? Um, not necessarily. Just love yourself. And I mean, it's a lot easier said than done. And I've been through the times where you don't love yourself, but, but there's so much to love about yourself all the time. You know, and I, I think we all should love ourselves. Exactly. And we've just got to, we're all just humans. We're all just people. We all have different gifts and attributes and skills. And I think God would want us all to love our, ourselves exactly. the way we are because he's how he created us. And I think he would want us to love ourselves. That doesn't take growth and progression off the table, but yeah, you got to look in the mirror and love yourself. Well, one thing. Um, I use my social media as kind of a platform to voice my opinion. Do you want to tell people how to find you on social media? Oh yeah. So I'm basically just on Instagram. I don't use That's how I found or you. Facebook. Yeah. So, um, Luke.war, if you guys want to follow me, I would love to have you guys. L-U-K dot. L-U-K-E. L-U-K-E Luke. Full yeah, Luke. Dot W-A-R. Which are the three first initials of your mm -hmm. last name. Yeah. And so, um, I'm actually, I am looking into like raising my, uh, Instagram influence and trying Good. to be an advocate for the LGBT community. But that's great. Um, I posted something after Pride Month on July 1st. I said, Hey, with Pride Month officially over, you guys, I just want to say, love yourself no matter what, whether you're gay, straight, um, black, white, whatever gender, whatever religion, whatever sexual orientation, it doesn't matter. We're all just trying to be loved and find love and be happy. And we're all. You should be proud of your growth and your progression because even even if you do nothing all day, say you sit in your bed and binge Netflix all day, you you needed that. If if you felt the need to do that, some days of relaxation are almost or more impactful than days of going out and doing things because your soul and your mind needs that growth and that that time off to digest everything, sit with everything. And so there were times during the school year where there'd be like big events like football games or whatever. And I wouldn't go and I'm student body president, but I would say I can't do this right now. I'm not in the mental state of mind to force myself to be with people and be outgoing and be happy. And so I would sit at home and I would be lazy and I would do nothing, but sometimes you need that. And so everyone should be proud of your pro progression and growth. And no matter what, 
you're, everyone's going through stuff all the time. And um, I mentioned this in episode two of the podcast with Jill, but um, there's this kid I talked to and he has cancer and he's a big influence in my life. He's a great kid. And I was talking about how I use my depression as motivation to help kids. And the, the way he phrased it, it has, it changed me. And I think about it all the time, but he said, yeah, cancer is a big, it's obviously it affects me a lot. It's always on my mind, but you never know what is going to be someone else's cancer. You never know if say someone says one rude thing to them in the halls or someone doesn't say hi to them in the halls, that could be their cancer or maybe their parents are getting divorced or maybe they have an eating disorder. You don't know what their cancer is. And so that's just, that's the big takeaway is everyone has their cancer and help people with that. And be, but be proud of your growth because every day you're growing and changing and developing. And so just be proud of yourself. I think if for my Mormon listeners, um, preach my gospel, which is a, you probably not aware of this Luke, but it's a, it's a manual that missionaries study really hard to go on their missions. Yeah. And one of the chapters in there is Christ-like attributes. Mm-hmm. And if you read that, you would, um, you wouldn't say this to yourself because you're too humble, but you have that chapter nailed. Thank you. Um, and I mean that really sincerely. Thank you. And um, I, I look at what, you know, what's in that chapter and what Christ wants us to do with our fellow men. That's, you know, his second greatest commandment, like unto it. Many would say it's the same equal, equal it's the same importance as love thy neighbor as thyself. And, and you've talked about different groups of people and how to love them. And that to me is a big part of why we're here on earth is to do the things you're teaching us in this podcast. And I've always felt my relationship with God's kind of vertical, my relationship that kind of goes a line upwards, but then most of what God wants me to do is horizontal is my interaction with his fellow children. Mm-hmm. And the very, and I, I'm kind of stuck now back on you sticking up in the locker room for women Mm -hmm. and other races and just, and that to me is what we're supposed to do as on this earth life is to have everybody else's back, especially people's backs who have a harder road. Exactly. And you have figured that out and you don't want to be perfect and I'm not saying you're perfect, but your voice is really helpful. So I look at your future and what you're already doing and who you are. And you have a really bright future and a really unique future, Luke. I appreciate that. Thank you. So any last thoughts you'd like to share, Luke, before we sign off? No, I'm just, thank you. First of all, thank you for this opportunity. It's been super awesome. And I'm glad I can get my voice out there on a broad spectrum, but it's been cool. It's been great. So on behalf of all our listeners, um, Luke Warnock, thank you for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. And thank you, Jill Hazard Road. Everybody go check out um, the podcast that Jill is starting called Human Stories. You can find Jill Hazard Row on Facebook. Um, just a wonderful person. And thank you, our listeners.